0: today on the show we have Claire Gunther Claire is global sales director at ebanks Claire thanks very much for being on the show thank you so much for having me Lewis I'm really excited for this wonderful let's uh, get right into it Claire I could uh, give you a potted introduction run through your resume as I as I see it on LinkedIn but I'd much rather hear it from yourself so why don't you um, tell our audience a bit about who you are and, and what you've been doing
1: Sure. So my elevator pitch is really that I am a specialist in Latin America, and specifically, I work with software companies in Latin America. So I've taken a few to market in the region, and now I am at eBanks, which is a Brazilian fintech, and we work with international companies that want to operate in Latin America.
0: Okay, wonderful. And you've only recently joined eBanks?
1: I did, yeah. I joined back in November, um, and it's been, you know, it was, it was, it's odd to join an organization at the very end of the year when you're a salesperson, but it did give me two months of really good ramp as far as learning everything, which is great because this is my first experience in fintech, so I had a
0: ton to learn. Wonderful. Before we get into e-banks, which is a company I know our audience, a lot of them will, will know quite a bit about it already. It's a company with a, a good and, and growing reputation, but it's really come into its own in the last couple of years, and we'll talk all about it. But let's just talk a bit more about your own profile, if you don't mind, it, Claire. You say this is the first time you've got into fintech?
1: It is. Yeah, I'm brand new to fintech. I've been interested in it for quite a while, and I've done a lot of research, but I have been focused on my in my career on software as a service, specifically B2B software. Mm-hmm. So my biggest experience in that area was at Zendesk, where I spent seven years taking the products to market in Latin America, Um, first as a direct salesperson, and then I set up the partner network down there, um, primarily in Brazil, Mexico, Chile, Argentina, and Colombia. And, um, you know, I learned, I sort of exhausted the area of customer service and customer experience. And so when I decided to make a move, I tried a couple of other places to find where I wanted to find my footing. And Fintech was really calling my name. I think it's a super interesting area where there are a lot of opportunities. And specifically, when I was taking Zendesk to market, I remember thinking, like, how is this so hard? And why can't we just accept local currency? And so when I found the opportunity at eBanks, I did a lot of research about what they did and they solved the problem that I had felt as a pain for the bigger part of a decade. So um, it was a pretty good fit um, as far as from like a theoretical perspective. And then when I got in the weeds and started really getting my hands dirty, I realized that it was the best place for me, Um, especially because right now we're uh, making a big push to bring more software to Latin America and software is my focus, so.
0: What is, uh, what is your affinity with uh, South America? Were you born there or studied there?
1: You know, it's I my my time with Latin America basically started with Zendesk. I did my senior year of high school in Spain as a foreign exchange student. So I already spoke Spanish. <laughs> and then I had lived in Barcelona for many years and I spoke Catalan and was actually a Catalan translator and interpreter for many years. Wow. And when I moved to San Francisco, You know, with the time difference being nine hours, and really the East Coast of the US is more Europe focused, I found that if I wanted to use my language skills, I was really going to need to focus on Latin America. Uh, For a while, I worked at a translation firm where we had translation software. That's kind of the way I dipped my toes in the water for software. Mm -hmm. But basically, when I got to Zendesk, I realized there was a huge opportunity and that no one was following up on the leads for linguistic reasons. So I started following up on the leads in Spanish and basically as a joke, told our COO that I was happy to learn Portuguese and cover the Brazilian market. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, we had like four leads for every four leads in Brazil for every one lead in the rest of Latin America. And so he surprised me by saying, if you're serious, no one else is going to do it. So take the classes and go for it. And that was really how I started my time in Latin America. and in fact, about almost a year after I started Portuguese classes which was when I made my first trip down to Brazil. And from then on, I started spending about a month of every quarter in the country to build out operations
0: and work with our clients. What an adventure. That's fantastic. And how is your Portuguese now? Is it is it fully fluent?
1: It is, it is. I mean, I certainly have an an accent. Portuguese people tend to ask me if I'm Brazilian, which (laughs) is hilarious. If you saw me physically, I do not look like any (laughs) Brazilian person has ever looked. Um, And then Brazilian people often think that I'm of Portuguese descent. So it's fluent enough that people think that it's my first language, but it's not so fluent that they would think I was a compatriot.
0: Amazing, so great, uh, great life and work experiences. Just jumping back to Zendesk, What were some of the um, experiences you had trying to sell that product down there in regards fintech or lack thereof? I know that's not a fintech company, but you said you was already able to see some of the bottlenecks in uh, the payments infrastructure down there. Um, What were some of the issues Zendesk and its customers were having back then, a few years back, due to the lack of good modern payments companies?
1: That's an excellent question, Um, and I think I didn't recognize it as being a lack of modern payment companies for many years. I really internalized the problems that we had transacting as being a business problem and not the fact that a, a widely adopted solution was available, but what we found is so the story of Zendesk is basically that they had a huge amount of online growth and self-service, right? So people would go in, they would start a 30-day trial, they liked the trial, it did what it needed to do, they would purchase the licenses. And so when I joined Zendesk in 2011, I was part of the first sales cohort. So up until then, like I celebrated in my first week on the job, 5,000 clients, and those clients had largely been closed without a sales force. So Obviously, the self-service process was really important to them. And I just started doing reports and realizing that the conversion rates in Latin America were so much lower than in other areas. Um, And so the proportion of leads that we were getting and the proportion that we're converting to client was really low. A lot of people wanted to say, well, oh, that's probably because we don't have the interface in, um, in Portuguese or Spanish yet. And I do think that that was a challenge, but at the time it was such a simple product and um, so clear what it did and it was so well designed that I thought that the language wasn't really the problem. And you know, digging into that data, we realized that one of the problems was that people were not able to close the transaction. So then they were getting in touch with support, support would respond back. We couldn't really solve the problem for them. And so it was this bottleneck at the last five yards which is a football reference, and I'm sorry, I'm American. Um, But it's really that last five yards where people have spent their time on the trial. They know it's the right answer. They're ready to buy. They have the funds and they can't do it. And that was really the most painful and disappointing part of the process. And I saw that repeated at other SaaS companies. Once I started working on Latin America and talking about it, friends at other SaaS companies would get in touch with me and tell me about their problems. And at the end of the day, even after localizing, even after you know having their website in Spanish and Portuguese and whatever language, they would still have lower conversion rates. And I think it took a long time for me to realize like the problem here isn't the business model, It's the rails, the payment rails that these businesses are running on. They're just not wide enough to accommodate this market.
0: That's right. And that brings us nicely on to eBanks. Why don't you make us a fuller introduction of the company and how eBanks has been solving some of these problems you faced back in your days at Zendesk?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So eBanks is a Brazilian fintech. We're actually the first unicorn from southern Brazil. Uh, We currently cover nine markets within Latin America, which include Brazil, Mexico, Argentina, Colombia, Chile, Peru, Ecuador, Bolivia, and Uruguay. And we've committed to adding five over the next 12 months, which is part of our larger push LATAM initiative. Uh, The company is larger than I had expected initially. Um, We have over 800 employees. We have offices in 10 countries. Um, I say offices right now, obviously I'm working from home just like you and everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do have a pretty strong, uh, a small but mighty team in San Francisco. And right now we service over a thousand merchants and we have over 70 million people transacting on the platform um, through our more than 100 payment methods throughout the region. So we offer different, different models for business. You can go local which would be where you transact in Brazil and stay in Brazil. Mm -hmm. You can go cross border, which means that you're able to transact in whatever country we service and we can settle in your currency. So typically USD or euros. And we also have um, a large variety of payment methods as you might, well, I'm sure you know, obviously, that in Latin America, there are payment methods that don't exist anywhere else. For example, the Boleto Bancario in Brazil, um, Oxxo Pay in Mexico, and those are all part of our offer. And so for me, seeing the the huge amount that we offered. One thing I found really intimidating was like having all these options. But then when I broke down the technical side during my interview and realized that with a single integration, you simply have to turn on or off these options as as you wish. Mm -hmm. That's where I found the real power of the solution is I discovered really payment rails that were wide enough to accommodate this huge opportunity of a market. And just to add on to the idea of these rails, one thing I also love about eBanks is this is not a solution that seeks to rip and replace. We seek to complement whatever exists in your current payment ecosystem. So for example, if you are transacting successfully in the United States and you don't wanna change that, we're not going to ask you to. We're going to work with a solution that you have in place and we sort of fit in like a really well-shaped jigsaw piece right where you need it to cover Latin America.
2: We started PCN 12 years ago with a view to serving the fintech community from a growth perspective. Since 2008, PCN has helped household names in fintech as well as the largest global merchants grow with the best talent who have specific financial technology experience. If you are a VC with a portfolio of fintech businesses, a scale-up looking to hire the best talent or a merchant looking to hire a head of payments or an entire payments team, get in touch today for a no-obligation consultation on how PCN can help you accomplish your hiring goals.
0: Fantastic! That was a uh, great intro, Claire. I can see why you've recently become global sales director for this company. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was comprehensive. I, I really enjoyed it. So, who are oh, the who are the who's the average customer of eBanks? What, what's a typical merchant look like?
1: Well. <laughs> It's hard to say, I mean, I would say a bird's eye view of our typical client is a client that wants to go to market in Latin America. Right. Right now we have an incredibly powerful B2C practice. So what that means is, you know, B2C is business to consumer. And so we're a very, very popular option for companies that want to sell items into the market um, from really any vertical. You know, we work with a lot of retail companies, we work with online marketplaces. Um, we also have great partnerships with some wonderful subscription service and recurring use services. And so there's no specific profile. It really is just about wanting to operate in Latin America and deciding that the opportunity is worth the investment, not just in getting eBanks as your payments platform, but also the investment in time to take your company to market in region, right? And, And I know from experience that that's a huge investment, but we certainly make sure that once that investment is made, you can close the loop and convert
0: those transactions. Um, Is Brazil still the biggest piece of the e-commerce pie in in LATAM and does eBank still have the, the bulk of its merchants there or is it kind of spreading out more fully across the continent? You know, I don't
1: know the breakdown of where how, the business that we do country by country. But I will say that when I speak with country, with companies, most of the time, their first question is, well, talk to me about Brazil, and then we'll talk about the other markets. And I think that's just natural because Brazil has, you know, it has the biggest population, huge adoption of um, online services. As I said, I focus on B2B SaaS, and Brazil really has the infrastructure for that. Other countries do too. Like I was, I had a a lot of success in Argentina, for example, when I was with Zendesk and Argentina also has a great infrastructure for that. Um, Colombia as well, Mexico, but Brazil is where I've seen a lot of the big growth opportunities. And I think that that just has to do with the fact that Brazil is the perfect storm of a really innovative culture that has taken to the cloud like nothing I have ever seen before.
0: Yeah, Yeah. so there's there's a huge opportunity there to bring um, kind of tech native you know, SaaS companies from the U.S. down to do business in in Brazil for Brazilian businesses and and consumers and, and vice versa?
1: You know, there is, but also there's a huge opportunity for Brazilian solutions to sell into the rest of Latin America. And I think that's another piece of the eBanks business that I love is it's not just about having companies from outside of Latin America go into Latin America and be part of that ecosystem. It's about taking businesses from Brazil and bringing them to Colombia, taking Colombian businesses and bringing them to Brazil, to Argentina. And so really it's it's about access. And we want to give that access to the people that want it. And so sometimes the market asks for it and there's a company that responds to that, or sometimes a company you know, does the work, realizes there's an opportunity and goes for it, um, but they can come from wherever.
0: That's great. I like the idea of um, Brazilian Colombian companies having a chance to become unicorns in their own right, selling to other countries in the region rather than big, um, big powerhouses from North America or, or Europe coming in. That can still happen, there's still room for that of course, but thanks to companies like eBanks it gives these smaller local companies a chance to sell into one another's countries as well, uh, which is good for the diversity of the ecosystem, uh, allowing new entrepreneurial companies to, uh, to get started up quicker. Um, are you finding, and this, this is something I've I've heard about in, in doing recruitment in LATAM over the last five or six years, very different regulatory systems between each of the countries, very different banking cultures. Um, how does e-banks tackle different financial uh, regulations to allow um, you know, goods and services and money to flow cross-border?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's our business model. And so we're built on top of a highly compliant idea, which is basically that The reason companies are not transacting locally is because there are a lot of hoops to jump through and so what we do is we've jumped through those hoops and set it up in a way that we have the relationships and the technology that you need to go in so for example a big value add particularly to companies that are in the us is that if you want to transact in latin america in any of the markets that we service you don't need an entity and that has been a huge blocker because it's it's interesting to me how people who don't know the Latin American market really don't equate it with regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there's a really uh, pretty strong misconception that Latin America is very, kind of wild west anything goes mm-hmm. and it is anything but mm-hmm. the regulations that are in place are there to protect you know the people to protect the businesses to protect the market and you know they're they're very important to comply with and so we've gone through and made sure that we have specialists that have ensured that the way that we do business there is compliant and then we bring other companies in on that like on basically on the back of that work that we've done And they're able to do those transactions within the market without setting up an entity, without hiring people in the market. Um, Of course, my hope is that ultimately, their businesses in the market get so strong that they do start hiring people. Because again, in the same way that eBanks is about access, we're also about inclusion. And so my idea isn't just that Latin America will have access to all of these best in class tools, but that these best in class tools will help develop professionals throughout the
0: region. Okay, so we've just been through a wild year, Was, was 2020 was a, was a, a, is a nice way to put it. And I know you joined eBanks towards the end of it. Um, is it fair to say eBanks fed the, uh, the storm that was coronavirus better than most? I know a lot of payments companies, especially those well diversified into, say, e-commerce and, and gaming and other you know, at-home subscription services, did do um, better than other companies last year. How, how did eBanks there?
1: I mean, eBanks has done a beautiful business since it was founded, but in 2020, we actually saw really impressive growth of um, our local alternative payment methods. And I would say that that has a lot to do with the fact that people who were not transacting online before COVID started to transact online. <clears throat> And in Latin America, there's a large portion of the population that is unbanked. And so, but there are still ways to include those buyers in the financial system through things like the Boleto, the OXO voucher, um, you know, payment by cash. All of those options exist, and so we accommodate those and I do think that was a strength for our business is that you know in um, in the last two years these alternative local methods have. uh, have accounted for I think about 29% of our total payment volume and um, that obviously grew in 2020 because we just had a more diverse customer base buying from our merchants.
0: Talk us through some of those alternative local methods, Claire. You've mentioned them a few times, but I'm afraid I'm completely ignorant of them. What are those payment methods?
1: Gotcha. So when people transact online, typically, I would say most people think of transactions online as, oh, I'm going to pay with my credit card, maybe I'm going to pay with my debit card, or if it's a large transaction, maybe it's going to be an automatic bank transfer, right? But all of those, those three methods rely on the person making the purchase to be banked. So they have a bank account they have funds in that account and basically like that's how that works. So what happens when you have someone who doesn't have a bank account, but does want to be included in these processes. That's where these alternative local methods come up. And so, for example, for the boleto in Brazil, there's it's basically a paper process where someone prints out the boleto, you make the purchase, but then you have to actually go to a physical location and pay for the boleto in cash. Mm-hmm. But once you've done that, you've purchased your item. So it's, a you know, from an experiential perspective, it's a little bit more work, but it does mean inclusion for people who don't have bank accounts or, and that's not just people who, you know, maybe some people don't have bank accounts for choice, but also we're talking about younger consumers. For example, you can have a Spotify subscription when you're a teenager, but it's very unlikely that you would have a, um, that you would have a bank account. And so you can pay for your Spotify subscription through a Boleto, you know?
0: Yeah. Fantastic. yeah. yeah,
1: that's my Brazil. I, that, I I tend to talk more about boleto in Brazil because that's the one that I'm most familiar with. Mm-hmm. But every country in Latin America, or most that I'm familiar with, have a um, have a non-banked cash option that is traceable through some kind of tracking system to make sure that you can make transactions
0: online. Got it. So one of the keys to eBank success over the last few years is making sure it can take alternative, very localized. Payments methods um, and be very compliant um, with cross border payments as well. Um, what are some of the new things the company is looking to do in the next, say, 12 to 24 months? What's uh, What are the new tricks you've got up your sleeve?
1: Um, well, as I said, we're doing a lot of expansion. We have our LATAM push, and that includes five countries for mm. 2021, mostly in Central America. Um, I'm very excited about this because I think that these are markets that are largely overlooked, but they have a lot of opportunity, not just for businesses looking for um, for new, you know, alert, to enlarge in their total addressable market, but also these are areas that are largely underserved and they haven't been able to enjoy the boon that is cloud computing. Um, just simply for lack of access. And so I think we're going to see a lot more participation from those areas. Um, Beyond the LATAM push, I think, you know, we're always looking to add more payment methods. So even in the countries where we currently operate, we will have areas where it says coming soon and we have a team that's working on bringing that out. So for example, there will be some markets where we do offer bank transfer, other markets where we're still working on that. And so what we're trying to do is give our merchants as many options as possible so that they can surface those options to their clients in the way that is most positive for them. So it's basically, how are we going to make it a better experience for our merchants? And again, because it's a single integration, uh, the part that I love is when we add something like that, it doesn't mean a bunch of technical work, it's just a, it's a simple turn on, turn off. So we try to keep everyone as up to date as possible because you know sometimes merchants ask for things and we don't wanna roll them out without them knowing that they're coming. Um, I would say that a good example of this is actually the work that we did last year with Pix. Are you familiar with Pix in Brazil?
0: Um, no, not really. Please, uh, please tell us.
1: Yeah, so Pix is basically an instant payment option. Um, it's tied to your CPF, which is your um, personal identification number, or you can tie it to your CNPJ, which is your business identification number, and it's a way to handle instant payments. Sort of an online answer to the boleto. And we introduced PIX into the market, like the day that it launched in Brazil, we were already doing transactions through PIX. And we've had a tremendous amount of success through that. And so one of the things that I really like, and that was, I think, within my second week at eBank, second or third. And one of the things that I really like about it is how we have a real sense of future proofing for our clients. So we want to make sure that when a new method rolls out, if we think there's going to be high adoption and it's and we can get it into our offer, we want to do that so that the day it launches you can already start transacting through that new method. And so that's really what our plans are for 2021, are keeping an eye on new methods and getting them bundled into our offer as efficiently and, and obviously in a compliant way as possible.
2: Berlin, we're here and ready for your hiring needs. After some short time considering it, we've decided to set up business in Germany meaning we can be closer to clients and allow room for new business. We're set up and ready to help find your ideal candidates, help build teams, and offer up media services. People create networks.
0: Fantastic. So adding new payments methods, pushing into Central America, um, all good and exciting stuff coming up. What are some of the challenges or or rainy days that eBanks is possibly preparing for? Do you see anything other than you know a, a never-ending coronavirus are there other other bad news uh, on the agenda that you're uh, that you're potentially looking to bat away
1: well I'm not really looking I mean'm I, I'm, I'm an optimist by disposition so this is a real change in perspective for me so it's a it's a question I would want to spend a little bit of time on but I would say that you know the reason I joined ebanks is that I, have a very clear idea of the opportunity that latin america presents Mm -hmm. and i've worked in the market since you know 2011 and so it's been a decade and in that decade there have been highs there have been lows but i think the region as a whole is heading in absolutely the right direction and i think that the piece that's going to power that is inclusion and because ebanks is very inclusion oriented i th- that we have a very bright future particularly the immediate future but you know we have to all be aware that covid just continues to wreak havoc on the world and on the markets. There's a lot of instability um, politically, financially, economically around the world. And that could that can curb any problem. And I think there's also, you know, there's always the question of who else has recognized this opportunity and is creating a business on top of it. And are we going to be, you know, are we competitors as well as partners? And, you know, right now the state is definitely yes. And I think that that's going to continue. So I don't see a lot of rainy days, but there is a lot of evangelism that comes with this role. And um, that evangelism is really just letting people know that this is a worthwhile market and they can see a lot of growth there.
0: So if I'm a a European or a North American merchant looking to sell my wares in, in Latin America, um, got a great product or service. I've done my uh, market research. I know there are millions of buyers for what I'm selling in LATAM. And um, how would I go about starting a relationship with eBanks? And, and what would those first few steps look like?
1: I mean, the first thing is just to get in touch. You know, we have a lot of white papers and a lot of information available on the site. So usually if you have a question in your mind about oh, I wonder what it would look like, what would my business look like in Colombia? You can go onto our site and probably find a case study or white paper that covers that, that can give you some insight. And it's also talking to our team. Our team, the onboarding that the company does is fantastic. Um, I was actually a little bit worried about doing remote onboarding, but one thing I did find, and this is a little bright point within COVID, is that because even the people who are located in our headquarters are remote for The time being Mm -hmm. it actually felt like a really kind of moderated equal experience where we were all living the same thing we were all floating heads you know It, it wasn't it wasn't that there was a group at the office and outside of it and because of that i've seen the people who are being onboarded are getting a really fantastic education, not just in what we do, but in how we do it. And so we're very able to communicate that to our clients. Um, oftentimes our clients come to us with precon- with preconceived notions. Like I wanna go into Columbia and I only wanna offer a credit card, how do I do that? okay, we can certainly do that. But like, is that the best way to address the Colombian market? Like, are you sure you don't wanna look at some of the, some of the other options, maybe debit card? And so it becomes more of a conversation. So really it's about getting in touch um, and I would also say that we have a huge practice that goes beyond payments. And so we also have a localization practice where we can help people maximize their investment in the region. And we have a lot of expertise internally and that we're that we're always happy to share. So really it's about getting in touch, which in that sense, I feel like eBanks is still, you. it very much shows its Latin American roots, right? Like get in touch, let's talk about it. That has been, my, my experience in, in every time in Latin America is it's a very, a very talkative and conversational culture. Um, not that Latin America has a monolith culture, but I will say that I do a lot more talking and a lot more chatting than I did when I was focused on the
0: US. What's the market like for buy now, pay later or installment payment like products which have gone absolutely bonkers in, in, in Europe over the last three, four years?
1: Yeah, I'm super happy you asked about that. I, you know, in the US installments aren't really that big of a deal. I think it's becoming a bigger deal because that option is just starting to exist. But um, you know, I've lived in places where installments, I mean, you'll go in to buy a fan um, and they'll say how many how many installments. And yeah. I'm like, well, I guess just one, you know. Yeah. Um so I think first of all just understanding what installments are so an installment the idea of installments is that you can break up a lump sum into different parts so i'm sure i know that you have a very fintech fluent audience but i just want to clear up what that is. So it's not it, you know you can say something like oh it's it's taking a, an annual contract and breaking it into quarterly payments but installments can also be you know paying the entire annual sum up front but over the course of a month right. So installments are very flexible and it's basically it's a cultural tradition and um i think that it's always been a tradition in Latin America because there have been traditionally you know you've got a large unbanked population, there can be questions of cash flow, um, and that happens, you know, worldwide. But I think the buy now, pay later is a really great way to acquire things for these newer generations that are finding themselves in at a financial disadvantage to say where their parents were at the same age 30, 40 years before, right? Um, So I think that part is going to grow and I think that solutions that include installments and buy now pay later are going to be important and regardless of what you're doing now knowing that that's on the horizon can help inform you to make a better decision about where you go with your business when you decide to to get some rails going for those those payments.
0: Yeah uh, without wanting to touch on any kind of sensitive R&D areas is eBank's looking at offering its own buy now, pay later solution or would it just partner with a, a local you know, tech provider for, for such a solution?
1: Well, we already offer installments. Ah. Um, and I so, so installments are a piece of our solution that can be surfaced to the end user through a variety of the payment methods that we offer. Mm-hmm. So that's a piece of our platform and has been um, one of the things that I love about it as someone who's focused on B2B SaaS is... Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but in, in B2B SaaS, if you have investors, what the investors are looking for is ARR, which is annual recurring revenue, versus MRR, which is monthly recurring revenue. And one thing that I see installments as is a path to ARR for software companies, because a lot of times what's holding people back from making an annual purchase isn't the price. It's the fact that they need more time to pay that down. And so if they have to go monthly, just because that's how it works for them, they're gonna go monthly. But if you offer them an installment option, they'll go annual and that really does bolster your annual recurring revenue or ARR. Um, And so that's one of my big focuses when I talk to SaaS companies is how to handle installments. And honestly, that's also where I hear the biggest sigh of relief because I usually bring it up proactively and say, oh, by the way, we do offer installments. And that's when people say, okay, Tell me more about that. I'm getting tons of questions about installments. I don't know how to handle it. We don't even offer those in the US. So how does this work? Um, So that's really a piece that I do a lot of educating on.
0: Yeah, because it's quite quite technical um, financially. You have to be very financially literate to to walk a a customer through that. Um, And it it sounds like you're you're well-placed to help them understand that solution, which can save them, I reckon, a a heck of a lot of money. Um,
1: Yeah. Do you want me to give you a quick statistic? Yeah. I don't know if you like to have the real numbers out here, but we actually did a study back in our 2018, 2019 edition of Beyond Borders, where we interviewed over 3,000 online customers, specifically in Brazil. And we asked them how what was their price threshold for wanting installments. And about 80% said that they would opt for installments for any purchase over USD 50.
0: OK. Wow. That's almost everyone. That's
1: a huge number.
0: Yeah. Walk us through that at layman's terms Claire. What, what is that? What does that? What does it mean?
1: Yeah. So, well, you've got you know a thousand consumers in Brazil, and they're all interested in buying a variety of things online. And if they're smaller transactions under fifty, like under fifty dollars, then they can probably do the lump sum at once. But let's say that they see an outfit or a shirt that they want that's more expensive than that. They definitely want to buy it, but only two hundred of those thousand would actually make that purchase in one go. So you're basically leaving out eighty percent of the market if you're not if you're not offering
0: installments. Hours. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, yeah, you have, to, you have to tell me twice when I get it. <laughs> 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 okay, e- e- exciting stuff. Um, yeah. Let's, um, let's wind it up, Claire. This has been a really nice um, interview, finding all that out about eBanks. Is there anything else you want to tell us about yourself or about the company or things it might be up to or things we can look forward to in the next 12 months?
1: Um, I mean, I think in the next 12 months, we, a lot of people, there's a lot of hand wringing and a lot of excitement over what the post-corona world looks like. And I do think that this is a very much kind of BCAD situation where there's things that were before coronavirus and things that were after. And a lot of people cite, and I agree that the coronavirus or COVID-19, however you want to call it, has been an accelerant. So... You know, relationships that were already strained now that you're living at home together, you're probably looking to not be in that relationship. Companies that were having trouble figuring out their online go-to-market have probably missed the boat on that, Um, or they've gotten it together and are having a lot of success. And so we're seeing, you know, a decade of growth over the course of a few months. And I think that we're going to deal with the aftermath of that later, where, for example, a lot of companies are going to reach the end of their, existing market much more quickly than they thought they would and they're going to look for other markets right because that's the that's the game of survival And I think that having a company like eBank support you in those endeavors is key to keeping that momentum and that growth and also being able to leverage the learnings that you had during this, you know, very hectic time to have a stronger business moving forward. So that's really the way that I see it. Um, I spent most of the pandemic unemployed. I lost my job at the end of February. Mm. And, um, you know, as my husband said, it was great for us as a family, terrible for me personally, because even though I adore my kids, being the only parent on duty with nowhere to go was incredibly difficult for me, but it did give me time to think about, okay, when I go back into the workforce, what is it that I want to do? Where do I want to spend my time? And how do I want to help people? and the what what do I want to do is I want to help the B2B SaaS industry. Where do I want to do it? I want to do it in Latin America. And how can I help? Well, I can help by solving the problem that gave me so many headaches throughout my career, which is payments in Latin America. And here I am. So I got to say that for me, everything looks very bright and rosy, which is exciting because I need something to look
0: forward to these days. That's brilliant, Claire. Thank you for ending on, on such a height. You've, you've found your, your vertical, your horizontal, and, and your region, and they've all come together in this, uh, in this job at, at eBank. So we wish you uh, the very best with it. We'll, uh, we'll watch your, your progress over the next year or so. We'd love to have you back on in a, in a year to let us know how 2021 has gone.
1: Oh, I would love that. That would be wonderful.
0: Okay, well, uh, we'll leave it there for now then. Claire, Claire Gunther, she is Global Sales Director, excuse me, Global Business Development Director for eBanks. Claire, thanks very much for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic.
0: Thanks for listening. And we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from our partner, Free A Girl, who are dedicated to finding child prostitution and impunity all over the world.
2: Hi, I'm Evelyn, CEO and founder of Free A Girl. Every day, two million
1: children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom, and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freeagirl.com for more information. Thank you.